Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. friends welcome back to another episode of the roto world football podcast as you know it is the most important podcast in the universe ladies and gentlemen we are here for the first round of the playoffs did i say my name is josh norris if not it is um john joseph norris to be exact on my license and my birth certificate uh yes first round of the playoffs later on i will have roto pat as normal but not as normal ray summerlin will be joining us as well it's not just these one-on-one conversations. We're adding another member to the family on this Friday episode. That means, first up, it is Evan Silva. Evan's matchups column will be posted on Roto World for this weekend's games. You know, because your name was John Joseph, I feel like <laughs> you could have been nicknamed JoJo. I'm very glad I'm not a JoJo. We've talked about this before. Very glad I'm not a JJ because I think there's only one decent JJ out there in the entire universe, and we all know and somewhat love him in some ways. JJ Nelson. <laughs> JJ Watt <laughs> is the one I was referring to, Evan. Of course, of course. That's that's the only one out there. Yeah, it's Evan Scott Silva, correct? Yeah, Evan Scott Silva. That's okay. correct. Did do you ever did you ever want to be known as a different name? Probably everybody like wishes they could switch their name at some point, you know. What was yours? But, I didn't like have. A, I just thought that Evan was like a weird name for some reason, and okay. so I I wanted like a more normal name when I was like seven. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, did you ever want to switch your name? Yes, I absolutely did. Yeah. I can I can remember the moment I was driving with my mom. We were going to meet my brother and my dad up in the mountains, and mm-hmm. I turned to my mom, and I was around seven. I turned to my mom and I said, "Mom, I want to be Tommy." And <laughs> And she asked, why? Why do you want to be Tommy? And I said, because he's the green and white ranger. Oh, yeah. That's that's why I wanted to be Tommy. <laughs> I have a lot of stories of Power Rangers. I might have told this one already, and if so, I apologize. But um, since it is around the holidays, uh, I used to love going to Toys R Us. Evan, I think I'm, I'm sure everyone close to our age loved going to Toys R Us. Um, and it was right at like the peak of Power Rangers for me. And so they had those belts that like they hold the middle of it and go, it's morphin time. And then they like, you know, go into their suits and then blah, blah, blah. Anyways, they were selling those, those belts, right? Those things that they hold in their hands when they say that um, at Toys R Us. And I thought if I actually picked one up and did that, then I would turn into a Power Ranger. And, <laughs> and like, I didn't want that responsibility at all. So instead of touching it, I walked by it, paced beside it for at least 10 minutes, just looking at the thing instead of actually (laughs) trying it. So that shows you, uh, Evan, how brave I am and how I would never save the world. I apologize. Uh, You're forgiven. (laughs) 
Um, Evan, I should open this again with the same question of Mm -hmm. how open do you feel that this playoff hunt is this season with the 12 teams involved? Uh, I think it's pretty open. I mean, I, you know, my focus right now has been just laser on the wild card round. Right. And not necessarily, you know, making any sort of like Super Bowl predictions or anything like that. So it's just been totally on these four games. Um, but I, I think that we've seen that every team is pretty beatable, uh, maybe with the exception of the Saints. Um, because but, they're at home. Uh, yeah, right. And, and they, are, they are at home, and they have a significant home field advantage. And so I think that and, – and Kansas City is also at home, and they have a huge home field advantage. They did lose a home game – to the chargers late in the year, but man, I mean, they dominated that game and Phillip rivers just, just went absolute nuts in the final five minutes or so. But I mean, I, I think that those teams are, are clearly at the top, but you can never rule out the Patriots, the Rams, you know, I think the tie, we're going to see a healthy Todd Gurley in the playoffs. We're going to see them um, back to as, you know, as healthy as we've seen them in the last month plus since they played that game against the Chiefs and beat the Chiefs in L.A. Uh, I think that the Colts are really dangerous from the wild card round itself. Um, I think that the the Ravens are, are pretty dangerous, too. I mean, with how they are – and, we're you know, we talked about them a lot last week, and we're not going to talk about them in the, on this podcast because we're focused on NFC. Um, but you can go back and listen to last week's podcast, why they are so dangerous and difficult to beat. Um, I think that Chicago also is very dangerous if they can uh, get their passing game back to the explosive level that it was playing at yeah. um, around midseason uh, because they, they are really, really deep in the pass catcher core. They have uh, multi, you know, two multi-phase running backs or running backs that can win in um, you know, different that complement each other very well. And their defense is just it's downright nasty and they're getting back Eddie Jackson one of the best playmakers in all of football. A few things. Uh, one, we will be discussing the Ravens. That's later on with Ray and Pat. I completely mismanaged and misplanned this podcast, but that is not surprising to any of you out there. I really, with Evan, should have previewed the Saturday games, and then with Pat and Ray, should have previewed the Sunday games. But no, 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 my friends, no. Instead, I decided to do AFC versus NFC. If anything, we're just being different. So that's how we're going to do it. Um, Evan, let's start off with the 820 game on Saturday because I'm talking about NFC with you, and that is Seattle against Dallas. Um, 43 point over under Dallas as one and a half point home favorites. This is a rematch of a game that happened earlier in the season. Um, this is two teams, Evan, that have been on real streaks. I mean, Dallas are seven and two after trading for Amari Cooper and Seattle finished the season seven and three in their last 10 games. Yeah. And I've noticed a lot of strong opinions on both sides, uh, just kind of in the football community. Oh, I think that the Cowboys are going to, are going to win. Like this is a clear win for the Cowboys. Oh, I think this is a clear win for the Seahawks. Um, and to me, it's the game that is the most difficult on the wild card slate to handicap. Um, first of all, right now, Dallas is a two point favorite at most spots. Uh, or between one and two. And um, the, the total has moved up, which I think is interesting because both of these teams kind of, 
kind of are built similarly or they, they, you know, they envision themselves as being built similarly. They're both run committed teams. Um, they've both got uh, quarterbacks that can move mm-hmm. uh, and they are both teams that run block better than they pass block. Uh, and they are both teams that, well, I think that Dallas has a significant advantage in terms of the strength of their defense uh, and Seattle can be run on. So that is the biggest edge that the Cowboys have in this game. They don't want to drop back Dak to, to pass very much in this game. And I know that he's just coming off an awesome game against the Giants, but I think that they need to try to control this game with their rushing attack. They gave Zeke Elliott week 17 off. The, the Seahawks in the second half of the season's, season were not good against the run, but they were very dangerous as a pass rushing team with Jerron Reed up the middle and with um, Frank Clark off the edge. And the Cowboys are not a good pass protecting team at all. Uh, Tyron Smith, not the player that he used to be. Both of their guards have dealt with injuries. Travis Frederick, of course, has been out all season. Lyle Collins, pretty inconsistent. So, and they are, I mean, they're bottom five in a ton of uh, pass rush metric sacks allowed. They've allowed the most sacks, second most sacks in the NFL. They're 28th in football outsiders pass protection metric, um, but they are at home and they have a, a. They are another team that played so much better at home than on the road all year. Um, so I think that they should be favored. But I, I th- still, you know, Russ Russ is so dangerous, man. Russ is so dangerous, and the Cowboys showed some cracks in run defense late in the year. Marlon Mack ran on him, and Saquon Barkley ran on him. I'm not even joking when I say this, Evan. Over under 27 and a half touches for Ezekiel Elliott in this game. Uh, over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't we just see a game with him like 35, 40 touches? Like, he had a 40-touch game. I mean, yeah. that's that's Derrick Henry at Alabama stuff. Um, yeah. And, and they're getting him involved in the passing game, and that's been a huge difference with Dallas this season. And also a major difference has been Amari Cooper. Evan, that's kind of a, a trajectory that – is is not an inconsistent one, but an interesting one with Amari Cooper because as soon as he was added to the roster, as soon as he was added to the team, he made big plays and then against Philly took over that game, right? But meanwhile, I think in the last, what, three or four weeks, he's done very little. So is he kind of the key piece in this offense to put them up on the scoreboard, which is obviously where they want to be throughout the contest? Potentially, yeah. I mean, he did finish slow. Three straight games below 35 yards to close out the year. Um, He had massive home road splits with Dallas. He played five home games with Dallas, and he played four road games with Dallas. He averaged over 110 yards per game at home, and he averaged 43.5 yards per game with zero touchdowns on the road. With Zeke, though, I mean... Yeah, this guy, they need to get this dude the ball as much as they possibly can uh, from weeks. Okay, so they had their bye in week eight from weeks nine through 16. Only Christian McCaffrey among running backs had more targets, catches, and receiving yards Hmm. than Zeke Elliott. Zeke Elliott was number two in the NFL in all of those categories until he rested in week 17. Seahawks gave up a ton of production all year to opposing RBs. You know, they lost Michael Kendricks. K.J. Wright has not really been the same player dealing with a bunch of injuries. Uh, They gave up the six most catches and third most receiving yards per game to opposing running backs. And I think that the Cowboys need to make that a priority. 
get the ball out of when Dak does drop back to pass, get the ball out of his hands quickly. You do not want Frank Clark and Jerron Reed bearing yeah. down on him. You know what? And I didn't get to watch the game, but I believe in that final week, even, and you mentioned it under 35 yards for Mark Cooper, he still got 11 targets though, right? Like it seemed like they tried to get him restarted and it mm-hmm. just didn't work out. Um, so that, that's, that's one to follow. And really with, Seattle, Evan, I know that they've wanted to, with Brian Schottenheimer, wanted to play up on the scoreboard and run the football all season long, right? Like, that's a, a Pete Carroll, Brian Schottenheimer, what dream. But I will always go back to the thinking that even if they do go down on the scoreboard, they still have Russell Wilson, right? They still have the ability mm-hmm. to work back from a, a deficit. I'm not so sure, and we saw it at times, but I'm not so sure if Dallas has that same capability in this game. I'm with you. I'm with you. And uh, Doug Baldwin, he took week 14 off, and I think it did him a lot of good because over the final three weeks, his production skyrocketed, his usage skyrocketed. In weeks 15 through 17, he was number seven in the NFL in air yards. Uh, He had 11 more targets than any other Seahawk, and he's running 65% of his routes in the slot. You want to avoid Shadobi Awuzier and Byron Jones where, where you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And you want to go after Anthony Brown, who missed time late in the season with a recurring back injury. Uh, uh, Pro Football Focus charged Anthony Brown with 27 of 36 targets, allowed 75% for 326 yards and three touchdowns after the Cowboys' Week 8 bye. Uh, he allowed 1.6 yards per slot coverage snap. That was second most among 27 qualified slot defenders in weeks nine through 17. So that is going to be a matchup to watch a matchup for the Seahawks to potentially exploit, especially if they fall behind. I think that they will be able to get the ball to Doug Baldwin pretty routinely uh, in the slot. One of my most recent sweats, Evan was Doug Baldwin in week 16. Um, Mm -hmm. It helped me not get relegated from the NBC sports a league was his performance (laughs) against the Kansas city chiefs. And it didn't happen until the end of the third quarter, right? It was that long touchdown that he called that his, his hip hit in before he went out. And then that tip him to himself and almost scored the late touchdown as well. He looked great in that game, which is great to see from Doug Baldwin, who we were excited about, but knew he was entering the year hurt. Um, Evan, at the top of show, you mentioned that teams have a heavy home advantage in this playoffs. Chicago is one of those. They face Philadelphia Sunday, 430, 41 and a half point over under Chicago as six point favorites. The reason I say that it maybe not so much as a team, but Mitchell Trubisky, Evan, it's been a very different game for him at home. In eight games, he has 21 touchdowns compared to just six touchdowns in six games on the road this season. But maybe more importantly, Evan, we kind of always talk about their segments of the season, right? You know, this Bears team isn't necessarily the same one that it was in week three. Mm -hmm. But in the last four weeks since he's returned from that shoulder injury, Mitch Trubisky is averaging just a measly 200 total yards. That's total yards and has accounted for just four touchdowns in those four games. Yeah, his receiver core has been banged up. um, And since he's come back from his shoulder injury, he's been as inconsistent as ever uh, as a passer. But I think that, you know, the the best part of his game, I think we would all agree, uh, and he's still progressing as a player. I mean, this is a guy who only started one year in college. He's still progressing as a player, but the best part of his game all year was his running ability. Like he was, he's like, I think he could be maybe a starting running back in the NFL if he like really set his sights on it. 
you know, and obviously he doesn't want to be that because for a million different reasons, but literally he, millions, millions of literally reasons. millions. <laughs> right. Um, but he is an unbelievable runner. Uh, despite missing two games, he finished fifth among all quarterbacks in rushing yards. He averaged 6.2 yards per carry. Uh, that is better than all the quarterbacks that finished ahead of him, ahead of him in rushing, except for Josh Allen, who averaged 7.1. Um, and then you look at the quarterbacks that have hurt the Eagles the most. So many of them are dual threat quarterbacks. Dak Prescott had two of his best games of the year against the Eagles. Deshaun Watson had a monster game against them in week 16. Cam Newton had a really bad first half against them, but then did whatever he wanted in the second half. Panthers came back and won that game. I believe it was in Philadelphia. He was Mm -hmm. the quarterback three uh, on the week that week. Marcus Mariota, one of his best games, was the quarterback seven uh, in a very high-scoring week for quarterbacks when he faced the Eagles. Blake Bortles didn't really play well, but he finished as a top 12 quarterback against them in that London game. Um, so the, just the profile of quarterbacks that have hurt the Eagles the most, Mitchell Trubisky kind of fits that. Uh, and all of his guys, all of his pass catchers are expected to be available. Allen Robinson missed week 17. He was full practice this week. Uh, Anthony Miller, his arm came out of his socket again. I mean, what these dudes go through is, is wild, uh, but he is expected to play. Uh, and then Taylor Gabriel left last week's game early with a rib injury. He's expected to play. Tarek Cohen finished third among all NFL running backs in receiving yards. He's fully on track to play. And man, he is going to be a very difficult assignment for the Eagles defense. It's going to be interesting to see how they deal with him because I'm just not sure how they're going to deal with him. I mean, this guy can run a variety of pass routes. And I think that if you're playing DFS this week and you want to get go a little bit off the board, I think you play Mitchell Trubisky and Tara Cohen mm-hmm. together. There, there's a lot of positives to take from the Bears this season, obviously. Um, Evan, is it too simplified to say this, that counting on Matt Nagy to script and game plan inside of structure with the variety of weapons he has on offense. And that's not even mentioning, you know, Trey Burton, who had a handful of games this season, who we expected more of, but is among the leaders on that team and receiving touchdowns. And then when it doesn't go inside of script, which you want then for Mitchell Trubisky to be um, accurate, when it goes outside of structure, when it goes off script, that's when Trubisky wins with his feet and with his legs. And what's, what's so interesting to me, Evan, is like, I don't think, that Jordan Howard has looked good this season, but it shows how good this offense can be when he's been extremely productive, you know, Mm -hmm. even when looking slow, even when looking like he's running in sand at times because they get up on the scoreboard in those third and fourth quarters and they run him downhill straight ahead and he can pick up those chunk three, four, five yards, maybe break one, maybe get in the end zone as well. And again, to me, that speaks to the overall success of this Bears offense and Matt Nagy's just first season with them. Yeah, and he and they've kind of committed to him more down the stretch, which makes sense because of the way that you know because of the style of runner that he is. Uh, over the Bears' final four games, averaging over 19 touches per game, uh, four rushing touchdowns in his last three uh, in his career, and he is in with the third season of his career. 
So it's, you know, we're getting to a decent sample size on him uh, from a career standpoint. He has averaged 4.2 yards per carry with 0.4 touchdowns in September, October, and November. But when December hits, when December comes, Jordan Howard, 4.6 yards per carry, 0.8 rushing touchdowns per game. Um, and it, look, if they get a lead, and they are the biggest favorites on the slate. They are six-point favorites in the other wild card games, the, other, the next biggest favorite is Baltimore by two and a half to three. So the bears are significantly uh, by a significant margin, the biggest favorites on this lay. And that, that very, you know, very strong correlation between um, rushing attempts and winning, um, you know, as uh, obviously as, as a lot of people misconstrue that, but um, you know, teams that win tend to run more, not because they're, because they're running, but because the, they have the opportunity to run because they put themselves in winning position. Um, so that, that sets up Jordan Howard to maybe have a, a big game uh, against this Eagles defense that was terrible in run defense from yeah. weeks 10 through 15, allowed 5.8 yards per carry uh, to opposing RBs during that time. And then they faced, the, in week 16, they faced Lamar, the, uh, the Texans without Lamar Miller, and then in week 17, they faced just the dead Redskins team. Adrian Peterson had four carries for zero yards. Are, what you know? What are we getting from the Eagles' run defense? I'm not sure. Um, I think that Jordan Howard could have a big game in that final game of Wild Card Weekend. Before I let you go, Evan, we do need to talk about this Eagles' offense. It has been sporadic all season. I mean, mm-hmm. we started the season with Nick Foles. Then we went to Carson Wentz. Then they traded for Golden Tate. A lot of it hasn't worked out. Now they're back to Nick Foles, obviously, because of the Carson Wentz injury. Then Darren Sproles comes out of nowhere and starts making plays when healthy again. Where, where is this team going into the playoffs? And is it even like possible to define what Nick Foles does to this offense? Or is it like still just small sample sizes and somehow it turns out with a positive conclusion more often than it's a negative one? He's just such a high-variance you know, high highs, low lows sort of player. And I think that that's just what we kind of need to embrace about him. You know, there was a similar scenario last year, and it was in the divisional round, but similar uh, situation where the Eagles, uh, or I'm sorry, it wasn't the division round, it was the NFC Championship game, where the the Vikings, you know, the the Vikings were like playing elite defense at that that time. And they had, you know, maybe the best defense in the NFL last year and was like Nick Foles you know we've seen him play you know pretty well in in spot you know in some spots and was like but he wants he ain't gonna do it against the Vikings you know but then he did and it was just like what is going on um and that was you know that was one of the the games where it's just like it's just like we were watching the game and you like don't believe it's happening yeah and you kind (laughs) of wish it could restart because you wanted an awesome competitive matchup and it wasn't that at all yeah, it was just a terrible game. It's a terrible, terrible. game. <laughs> so, but I, I think that that's kind of what it's going to take for for Philly to pull this off. You know, there's a reason that they're that they're nearly touchdown dogs in yeah. this game, and you know, so I and I think that we're going to see Vic Fangio double team Zach Ertz, uh, and I think that you know it's going to come down to a lot of Alshon. This is a re- revenge game for Alshon. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's also a revenge game for Trey Burton. Yep. Uh, on the other side, sort of. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I well, I think that 
you know, for the for the, the trajectory of the Eagles offense, you're right. It's been a crazy season. I mean, there was about a five, six, seven week stretch where it was like, what are they doing? And the Golden Tate trade was an absolute disaster. And they weren't and you know, when and they already weren't playing their twelve personnel package enough at that time. Dallas Goddard is an absolute beast. And I know that people will, you know, cringe at, at this hearing this, but he's sort of like the Gronk, and Ertz is like the the Hernandez, you know, in terms of like the style, the roles that they play. Yeah. And he he has been an absolute beast, and in their twelve personnel package, that's one of the most efficient personnel packages in the NFL. You could go check out Ben Solak's article on it on Bleeding Green Nation. It's really really good. Um, it's entitled How How uh, Twelve Personnel Saved the Eagles Offense. Because when they were when they were trying to jam in Golden Tate, they were they they had to play Dallas Goddard less, and that was an absolute disaster. They were not they were sub optimizing their personnel, and they've since like kind of buried Golden Tate. When he's in the game, like he gets targets and he's you know sort of like a gadget player, but he's usually not in the game. And Dallas Goddard now is running more routes, playing more snaps in their offense has been a lot better. They've also benefited from just basic like uh, regression back toward the mean because early in the season they lost a ton of close games. And late in the season they've won a bunch of close games. You know, and so they, they have just kind of the, 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 re- the regression has gone back in their favor, and that has helped as well. You can check out Evan's full thoughts over at Rotoworld. And again, just after this break, we have Ray and Pat to break down the AFC matchups because I'm an idiot and book the show that way. So stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our last Purple Mattress read of the season. Thank you so much, Purple Mattress, for sponsoring this podcast and the last few as well. Purple Mattress is different than anything else you've ever felt. And if you've ever, you know, considered buying a mattress with all that money that Santa left you, all those goodies because you left him cookies, consider treating yourself to a purple mattress. It uses this brand new material that was developed by an actual rocket scientist, and it's not like the memory foam that you're used to. The purple mattress feels very unique because it's both firm and soft at the same time, so it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it sleeps cool. You know, and since it feels different, they want you to try it out. 100-night risk-free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, you can return your Purple Mattress for a full refund. It's backed by a 10-year warranty, free shipping, and returns. You're going to love Purple. And right now, for you, our listeners, you'll get a free Purple Pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts that they're offering on the site. Just text ROTO to 474747. Again, if you buy a Purple Mattress, text ROTO to 474747. 47 to get that free pillow message and data rates may apply again thank you for sponsoring this podcast and welcome back my friends thanks for sticking with us you know we thought in the new year we should switch it up a little bit we've been doing a lot of isolation one-on-one time here on this podcast so why not bring in at least one more person yes one more person so whereas i normally talk with pat during this episode in this segment i'm bringing in ray someone as well ray i'll even start with you how are you buddy I'm living the dream, my friend. New Year, same me. So, so I'm sorry to everybody else, but yeah, feeling good, feeling great, ready for these, uh, ready for these playoffs to kick off. 
Right. Already finished all your resolutions, completed those, thrown them in the trash, all that See, stuff. Is, a, more, is more golf your resolution, Ray? Well, here's a pro tip for all of you out there is if you don't make resolutions, you can't yes. break resolutions. So <laughs> simple. And Pat, in, in your in your wise, I'm not going to say older years, but more mature years, how are you with your newfound new year resolutions? Um, yeah, I've never been, uh, I'm very much on the Ray bandwagon of why I'm, a, I'm a big believer in setting realistic goals and pretty much no resolution is a realistic goal. So I don't ever set them. Ray, there is a reason why you taught the youth of America for so long. And it's because of this great advice you've been giving us. That's Speaking uh, of Ray, he and Rich completed, um, kind of a betting preview of the weekend, which you go check out on Roto World. It's the four playoff matchups. Um, as you know, we just finished up with Evan and the NFC. So here it is time for the AFC. In fact, it's the first game of the weekend. That is Indianapolis Colts at the Houston Texans. 4.30 Eastern, the correct time zone on Saturday. False. Um, false. The Houston Texans are just false. <laughs> the Houston Texans are just one and a half point home favorites in this one. Um, Ray, it's an interesting one because the Colts have won nine of their last ten. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're on a hot streak. Both these teams, interestingly, they started out poorly. The Texans started out 0-3, then a win over the Colts kind of put them into where they are now, into this kind of stratosphere. The Colts started out 1-5, and and then since then, as you mentioned, have been incredibly hot. And this is one of three matchups, uh, rematches, excuse me, that we have this weekend. So it's going to be a weekend of rematches. This one, obviously, since it's a divisional game, this one they played twice already. The Colts winning in Houston, the Texans winning in Indianapolis. So you look at all those, both those games were three-point games. One of them went to overtime. I mean, you look at all of this, and you're you're expecting, I think, a close game. The line says that it's going to be a close game. This is one of those games where you kind of, at least in my opinion, you, you throw your hands up in the air and go, well, I expect that it's going to be close, but picking who's going to win it, that's that's going to be really tricky, I think. Yeah, Pat, I forgot to mention this is a 48 and a half total. Uh, what stands out to you with this one? Because we talked about, uh, I didn't talk with you, I talked with Evan last week about the Colts and man, what a run they've been on, as I've mentioned. But the Houston Texans, as Ray said, have gone on their own hot streak in the middle part of the season and won, what, nine or 10 straight? Yeah, I believe they've both won 13 in a row. Uh if you want to fact check that um, coming into the playoffs, very hot, both teams uh, to me, uh, the four games, this is the one that I kind of have, I feel like the least, the least of a feel for kind of like most true toss up B and kind of this weird, like uh, they're kind of like they're mirror images of each other in some ways, obviously different styles at quarterback, but both kind of, I was going to say the, 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 the Colts, I was going to say they're both one kind of one man bands in the passing offense. That's not really true. I think maybe Eric Ebron, uh, you know, the existence of a viable second weapon for the Colts offense, passing offense could be kind of a nice, if you're looking for differentiators here, Deshaun Watson has been all year, uh, you know, cannot get settled that number two receiver spot. You know, maybe Kiki Cutie is going to play this week. Uh, if not, he's got to make do with uh, someone who spells the name Vincent, V-Y-N-C-I-N-T, <laughs> um, as his number two receiver. And the way that I just kind of look at this game is that I just feel like all the Texan strengths are, are kind of just like slightly better strengths for the Colts. Um, uh, just Colts slightly, but I feel like Colts playing slightly better on defense right now. Offense, Colt, Texans have been humming, but it's kind of like overall, like the Colts is their their uh, eleven player, their eleven starters and offense better than the Texans right now. And the game is in Houston, which of course is a big edge in the playoffs. But uh, 
to me, it's a toss up that slightly favors the Colts. Ray, I mean, this is the highest total of the weekend, 48 and a half. To me, on paper, you look for big time players defensively, right? And Houston has that. Sharice Wright. Well, <laughs> Houston has that in Jadevion Clowney and in JJ Watt. Um, Indianapolis, I mean, sure, I guess they've had a few that have come out of nowhere and surprised people. Darius Leonard, dog, best yeah, player mean, in the whole game. Again, but if if we're talking about Ray, where defenses have gone now, it's to make that big time play in those critical moments down the stretch, just to create a turnover, um, stop them on fourth down. And to me, Ray, the Texans have that. But again, forty eight and a half is is the highest of the weekend. Well, that's actually why I've kind of hesitant to pick the Colts. I agree that just looking at these teams on paper, I like the Colts more. But if you go and look at, you midget it, playmakers and what Houston's able to do, Houston's ability to take the ball away, Andrew Luck's propensity for giving the ball away, at least recently. I mean, the, the Colts have not really protected the ball. They have the eighth most giveaways this season. Luck has at least one interception in six of his last eight games. And you go to the other side, the Texans have the fourth most takeaways this season and the second both turnover to, second best turnover differential in the league. So I, I agree with Pat that I look at this and I think that the Colts should win. I think that their defense is good and doesn't have a glaring weakness like the Texans do. The Texans pass defense is not good. I mean, Andrew Luck is thrown in his two games for 863 yards and six touchdowns against Ooh. them. They've given up nearly 400 yards in two games of their last five, including Luck. Another game, they give up 471 yards to Nick Foles. Like, this is a this pass defense is struggling, and it can certainly be exploited. I don't think the Colts have holes like that on defense, but the Colts also, I don't think, have, like you mentioned, the playmakers to force those turnovers. Deshaun Watson hasn't thrown an interception I, I, since like week eight. It's been a long time since he has. So, yeah, that's, that's really the tricky pit here is – where are the big plays going to come from? If the big plays are coming on offense and T.Y. Hilton just baptizes the Texans like he tends to do in Houston, <laughs> then this could be this could be a different <laughs> thing. But if Luck throws two turnover, throws two interceptions, then you have a bit of a different game. That's yeah. why I really see this as a as a toss-up. That's an interesting point, Ray, because like we can count on DeAndre Hopkins to make plays no matter who he's against, right? We've seen Eric Ebron make plays this year, and T.Y. Hilton, it's sporadic. I mean, at points in the season, it wasn't typical T.Y. Hilton in terms of winning down the field, but we know that their connection has been strong. But it's not necessarily like we're reliant on that with the Colts offense, right? Because we we know that Andrew Luck is just going to spread the football around, whether it's Zach Pascal, if that's even his name, and and <laughs> uh, Naeem Hines and Mo Ali Cox and whoever else. Like, it doesn't matter what their name in the back of their jersey is. Like, Andrew Luck is going to find the open man and hit them. Meanwhile, you have like the ultimate playmaker mentality in Deshaun Watson, who will hold on to the football as long as possible. Miami Fairbairn. Yes, sure, sure. Yes, or Jordan Akins, who's 29 years old as a rookie. Um, But again, (laughs) we know that DeAndre Hopkins is going to make his plays. So, Pat, to me, it's as simple as we just mentioned this. It's as simple as can the Colts offensive line, which has been outstanding for stretches of the season with so many new players on it, protect Andrew Luck. Um, against that talented front four, front seven that the Houston Texans have. 
Yeah, I mean, you made an interesting point. You know, playoffs are a lot of times about you know, defensive superstars making a big play, like intercepting a pass, do a strip sacking Andrew Luck, like you said, who is no stranger to turning the ball over. But I, I mentioned like Sharice Wright's name earlier. It's kind of as a joke, but also kind of like I feel like this game is going to come down to like one defensive player. It could be a Texans uh, defensive back, you know, blowing a play. It's just kind of been that is like the most glaring weakness for either of these teams and. To me, a game where I'm like really struggling to find an edge, I still think that might be like the tipping point for this game is just the struggles of the Texans secondary. And uh, so yeah, it's real good. And by the way, Ray, uh, we're, we're we're kind of talking about the the Texans defense, though, but don't be smirch them uh, for giving up 470 yards to Nick Foles. I mean, just anyone that can get ripped by the best player in NFL <laughs> history for 470 yards. So I'm not really sure why you brought that up. Eagles Eagles record, I believe, 471. Yards. <laughs> wow, wow. And look, it's not like there's a consensus, like guaranteed pick that's that everyone believes is absolutely going to win the Super Bowl out of the twelve teams in it. What's your level of confidence for either? I'm going to cut you off. Isn't it weird? This is a fascinating class. There's not a Super Bowl favorite. We're right. breaking out four wild card games. None of these games feel like a. You know, and none of these teams feel like a prohibitive favorite this weekend. It's a very wide open playoffs. Any of these eight teams can make a legitimate run. I would say though, like of these eight teams that are playing this weekend, maybe these two are on the lowest of that rung. Is that fair? No, I mean, I would say Philly is there and Dallas might be there as well. But look, these are kind of like middle of the road playoff teams. Like we mentioned, they they all have flaws heading into this first round of the playoffs, right? Well, I think that actually the Colts might might actually be able to make a run because I, love it. I, love I mean, it. it depends on what their defense, it depends on, because we're talking about their defense and we're saying, well, they haven't uh, produced a ton of turnovers and they haven't, you know, they haven't even, you know, produced a ton of sacks either. But and so you look at it and go, well, they're not making those kind of game-changing plays that you look at and say, well, you know, that's a defense that I think can really do something. But they've been outstanding. Their run defense is outstanding. They've given up over the final 10 games. They've given up 16.4 per, points per game, no more than 28 points over that run. They haven't allowed more than 115 rushing yards since week seven. They've allowed under 95 in six of their last eight games. Like you, you take a look at this and you say, all right, this defense might not be like the flashy. They might not have all of those takeaways that you would, that you would expect. And it might not happen again this, this week either, but like they're really good. And then on the other side of the ball, they have Andrew Luck who is back to being Andrew Luck. So I look at the Colts and I say, this is a team. I, the only concern I have is, is like I mentioned earlier, turnovers. If it wasn't for that one thing, I think I'd be picking the Colts here and I'd be feeling very comfortable. As it is, if I had to pick a, someone in this game, I'm picking the Colts. But yeah, it's that one thing worries me a little bit in this particular matchup. But I do think the Colts are built in such a way that they could make a run. I, the Colts have one of those kind of classic this playoff like uh, streak teams where they have a superstar quarterback, they have an upstart defense, and when Ryan Kelly, Ryan Kelly is healthy, they can uh, even run the ball. So Good point. I agree with Ray. They're kind of the ingredients there for like a, a hashtag surprise playoff team. And and it's not exactly fair to me for me to say this because he's been out for so long. But I think if Will Fuller was in the fold here, this would be a different discussion. But you know, their passing game becomes super linear when he's out and he's obviously yeah, my, out my dynasty league team will will you got to get well soon man awesome football player love will fuller okay oh and by the way i have to make a i have to make a correction because i was saying something about the colts takeaways they're actually 10th in the league in takeaways i thought that they were lower than that so yeah so even that's there so huh. it's not even it's not even i would you guys have guessed that they were that high no um, yeah, to me, they felt a little op- hashtag opportunistic, so I, I would not have guessed 10th, though. No. It's odd. You know, whenever I go back and watch these Colts games, I'm just like so focused on Andrew Luck and like I haven't 
other than Darius Leonard, like recognized prime time highlight reel Colts defensive players that you lock into, you know, that you get excited to watch. But as you talked about, like Matt Eberflus and, and that defensive unit as a whole has, has really Hunt, played, man. has really played strong um, despite, again, the lack of, of top end talent, which is fun little storyline to follow. Okay. Let's keep it going with the Sunday one o'clock Eastern game. Again, the only time that matters. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers and the Baltimore Ravens. Pat, I feel like these two We're teams... We're editing that out later. I feel like these two teams just faced off against each other. They did. They did quite literally just face <laughs> off against each other. And uh, but Is there anything more Chargers than... They tie for their conference's best record, but they not only do they not get a bye, they get the number five seed and then have to travel across the entire continental United States to play one of the hottest teams in football. It's a... By the way, very, an very early game. Draw. Yeah. Yes, like, so exactly. Yeah. Late afternoon. Get the early game. Yes. Uh, it's unlucky draw, uh, to put it to put it mildly. Um, do, you, do you want my thoughts on the game, Josh? I do, um, Pat. I would love that. That's why you're here. I think, uh, I, again, kind of, I, I like the Chargers as a team, but I mean, this to me sets up as a Ravens victory. Uh, scattered points in my head. You know, Phillip Rivers uh, has had a tendency the past few years to really wear down as the season Drags on three touchdowns, six interceptions over his final three starts. Uh, you know, how's he going to be playing uh, going into the playoffs? Uh, just, I feel like this just really sets up for the Ravens. Like you so said, they're at home. That averaging 230 rushing yards per game since Lamar Jackson became starter against the Chargers' run defense. It kind of never really got healthy this year. They put Denzel Perryman on injured reserve. Corey Legit on injured reserve. Uh, they have d- decent statistics against the run, though, but just. Kind of a run defense that's all year been undermanned, uh, just not playing with their best personnel. And like I said, just kind of limping going in the playoffs. They weren't impressive against the Broncos, even in week 17. And just maybe a, an older team getting banged up, uh, just kind of drawing the wrong team at the wrong time in the Chargers and the, the Ravens. Now, some people have made the point, and this could be, uh, if, the, if the Chargers are going to win, it could be based on, uh, you know, they're the first team to kind of get a second crack at this Lamar Jackson rushing attack. And they actually fared better against it, I think, than anyone down the stretch. The Ravens had, quote-unquote, only 160 rushing yards against the Chargers, which was the fewest uh, against any team. But so maybe if the Chargers, you know, they'll probably hopefully learn some valuable lessons from that game. But to me, this just sets up as a very, very unfortunate draw for the Chargers. I think you made some really good points there, Pat. Like, point that the Chargers at one section of the season were considered perhaps – a top three team in the NFL. And then, but we've seen Melvin Gordon get hurt. We've seen Keen Allen slow down a little bit. Like this just hasn't been exactly the right team at this time to enter here. And now they face, as you talked about the first playoff matchup on the road. And Ray, we talked about this last week with Evan, that Baltimore has made a complete shift in their offense. They went from one of the most pass heavy teams, heavy teams in the league to the most run heaviest team in the league. And again, most run heavy team since the seventies. If you, if you count the 230 yards per game and not the, the full season rushing stats. And I don't remember who tweeted it today, but if you, if you uh, extrapolate Lamar Jackson's carries from has, however, seven games, he's been a starter. Is it eight games at seven games? One of the two um, across the entire I season. Seven. I think he has the second most in the NFL, just behind Ezekiel Elliott. Did anyone else see that tweet? Cause that's bananas. <laughs> I did not, but. Uh, that's, uh, 
pretty crazy. Ray, give us your thoughts on this contest since I've been talking way too much. Well, I think, I mean, I think the points have been made about why this is a bad spot for the Chargers. And Pat, I mean, you didn't even bring up that the Chargers are out of linebackers. Like they, they don't have <laughs> linebackers. Tavis Brown is out for the season now. They've been playing safeties at linebacker. They've been playing Adrian Phillips at linebacker and Derwin James. Like they're, they don't have them anymore. And that uh, might be a problem against it yeah. it might not be a, a great a great thing for them so i look at the situation and i think that the chargers are still a better team than the ravens and i think that they on paper you look at it and you say this is this is a better football team than the ravens but what the ravens are doing right now and the way that they're playing the game the way that they're keeping their elite defense even their elite defense is you know well, obviously elite. However, they don't even have to play that many plays anymore because they're controlling the ball on the other side. They have a running game that just works with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. They're going into a situation here where this run defense has not really been exceptional already and is now, as you guys mentioned, a little bit banged up. Phillip Rivers was absolutely shut down the last time he played them. Now he has to go on the road in an early start. All of this is just nasty. The one thing that I'm going to – that kind of – gives me hope if I'm a Chargers fan is that Lamar Jackson is a rookie quarterback. Rookie quarterbacks in their first start in the playoffs have traditionally not done very well. And he still has yet to prove that he is able to, if the running game is not working or if for some reason the Chargers get a special teams touchdown and a deep pass connects with Tyrell Williams or Mike Williams, or if something happens and they're suddenly down by multiple scores late in the second quarter, in the third quarter that he's able to carry this game, this passing game, with his arm. He's able to carry this offense with his arm. He's not shown that yet. Everything we've seen from him as a passer suggests that that's probably not going to go well if they're forced to do that. And so I think that there's going to come a time for this team in which that happens, and that'll probably when their season ends. I don't know if that'll be this week, but that at least would give me some hope for the Chargers. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, kind of spoiler alert, uh, every playoff team likes to get out to an early lead. But, That'd be uh, helpful, yeah. If the Chargers get out to a 10 nothing, 14 nothing lead, and like you said, Lamar Jackson has no choice but to pass uh, – it could get it could get very ugly for the Ravens very quick. It's just you hit on more points this late. I just feel bad. Like the Chargers defense is set up so well to stop modern passing attacks, not this 1970s. We are going to run 55 times rushing attacks. It's just just a uniquely Chargers draw. First, Ray, I want to get back to what you said. Rookie quarterbacks are nine and 15 since 2000 with six straight losses. Um, I believe Rich wrote that in the column that you both posted on Roto World, which you can go check out. And I, d I don't mean to keep referring back to what Evan and I talked about, but what Evan and I talked about last week. Why don't you just have Evan was, on? Well, I did in the first half of this episode, just <laughs> FYI. What he talked about was with what the Ravens do, and it's been a narrative that all these coaches have talked about for years, is, hey, we want to – and what announcers do during the game is, hey, the offense's goal is to eliminate you know, 10, 15 plays from the opposing offense but the Ravens actually do that with how they play football. And so if you only have like six drives a game against the Baltimore defense that is playing at home in this contest, that's not necessarily set up for success um, basically for any team. And, and that's and a difficult one to overcome, especially one Ray, as you mentioned with Gus Edwards and Lamar Jackson and Kenneth Dixon running down your throat at safeties instead of linebackers. And I just want to point out Gary Gary Patterson on the on the TCU's coach's film coach? room, TCU's coach on the coach's film room, which for some reason ESPN is getting rid of, and I, that's a discussion we can have yeah, in the future. Bad decision. I like I like you ESPN people, uh, but 
bad decision. I, my my mind is blown. But anyway, on the one on the one during the Alabama game, he said it best. He said he said the best defense is on the sidelines. Like that's it. Like the huh. other team rarely <laughs> scores when your defense is on the sideline. And so if the Ravens are able to do that, I mean, it just makes them that much more dangerous. And I, I think that the point we're making here is this is just a bad, unfortunate spot for the Chargers. I wish that they had gotten any other draw. I think that they would be a dangerous team for any other team, but this is a bad spot for them. But all hope is not lost. Like there are still there are still win conditions here for them. And they just need to probably score early to make that happen. Uh, is Hunter Henry back for this contest? Do we know? The reports have uh, said well, you're, you're asking the wrong people. Got to ask Stephen A. Man. Um, <laughs> oh God, that you just destroyed ESPN and two. I know, which is which I don't like to do. I, I do have a great deal of respect for ESPN. Um, but uh, no, the, the bolts have been kind of cagey on it. My guess is no, okay. and even if he is, it's going to be like ten to twelve snaps. Okay. So yeah, and for me, if Chargers are going to win, it's going to be up to be like a Joey Bosa game, like his a monster monster game taking advantage of one. If they're going to win. It really is as simple as they just got to get an early yep. lead. That that is the formula for the Chargers to win this game. It's like because the Chargers can play ball control offense uh, almost as well as any team. Not as well as the Lamar Jackson Ravens the past two months, but the Chargers can really play ball control offense as well. So, uh, any closing thoughts, Ray? I mean, I guess like we're not going to do any fantasy anything. No DFS no. on the no. World Podcast. No, none. This is no. it. God do you no. have any any wise words, wise thoughts to give the people? Play T.Y. Hilton. Flex Fairbairn? Oh, definitely. If you're showdowning, Fairbairn is the way to go. There we go. Yeah, that's uh, – Nick Nick Minzio and I uh, hit on this revolutionary strategy <laughs> for the showdown last Sunday night. Flex uh, flex kickers in the flex spot. This, so, this revolutionary bonus strategy point spot. everybody's been doing all year, but you guys mastered it in one <laughs> week. And it, and it did not work when we did it. <laughs> That's called Fantasy Football. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. That was Pat. That was Ray. God, it's so good to have more than one other person I get to talk to. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you all next week. And I think we might have a second podcast coming out later today as well. This is a bonus episode. So stick around for that. And we'll talk to you all soon. See ya.